We're continuing down this path. The name of the message tonight is called Two Harlot Sisters Judged. Are you encouraged? (laughs) This is a hard one. It's graphic, very graphic, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, but we're not going to go into too much detail because, to be honest, it's pretty in your face. So, on that note, you guys, let's pray, and we'll dig into Ezekiel chapter 23. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and God, the fact that we get to come to it, Lord God. Lord, just as Emily was praying, Lord God, during uh, worship, Father, just the, the freedoms that we have to come into this place, Lord, the freedoms, Lord, that we have to just worship your name, Lord God, freely, Lord, to open your word freely, God, Lord, to pray to you openly. God, I pray, Father, that we would never take any of that for granted. God, that we would never look at our lives and, Lord, put you in the back seat of it. God, we want you in the driver's seat. Lord, we want you in charge. God, we want you, Father, to to be growing us up, Lord, to be teaching us what things you have for us to learn, Lord God. And so, Lord, as we come to your word tonight, Lord, we come eager we come hungry, Lord God, and we ask, Father, would you feed us, Lord? Would you, would you give us what you want to speak to us, God? And Holy Spirit, I'm asking for just a, an extra measure, God. I don't know, Lord, this whole time, Lord, today, tonight, Lord, during worship was just so, my heart, God, was just so in need, Father, of a fresh outpouring. And so, God, I'm asking, Father, that you would just pour fresh on us, Lord. Even through this hard chapter, God, would you just pour something fresh on us? God, have your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you guys, this, the reality of what we looked at last week, this idea that, remember, the very last verse of chapter 22, right? God's like, man, I've been looking everywhere for a guy to stand in the gap, and there's nobody. There's nobody. And that's saying something, isn't it? Because remember, Jeremiah was there, wasn't he? He was there. So what was God getting at? He was looking for a man that was going to stand in the gap and like let that whole nation know. Jeremiah was standing in the gap. I'll have you know that. But he wasn't the guy that God was calling into that position. Does that make sense? Because he was standing in the gap and he was speaking truth to them. Were they listening? No, they weren't. Why am I saying that? Well, you guys, as we look tonight, we're going to go into this idea of like, man, you know, God could find no one to stand in the gap. And so his justice was going to be poured out onto his people. And we're going to be looking tonight at another parable. And this parable is speaking, again, of Judah's idolatry, but it's going backwards and also looking at like before Judah gets taken away, which hasn't happened yet. This is still future. This is still um, prophetic right? This, he's a prophet. <laughs> he's prophesying. This hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen in a couple more years from here. But here he is speaking and he goes back and he says, hey, what about Samaria? Do you guys ever think about that? You remember the history? Samaria was taken out. The Northern Kingdom was gone. And so God goes back and he's like, did you not learn anything? And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight is that the Northern Kingdom, you guys should have opened or woke them up. It should have been a wake up call but it wasn't. Instead, you know, they went further into sin than Samaria did. And God, you guys, tonight, as we're reading, does not pull his punches when he's talking about sin. He does not pull his punches. He never has, 
and he never will. I need to say that because you guys, we pull punches, don't we? The American church in a lot of ways is pulling punches. It's okay to do those things. No, it's not okay. God's word says it's not okay. Now, I love the people that, you know, we're all sinners saved by grace. So we're all the same sinners. And there's not one sin that's worse than another, right? God's not up there like, you did that, ah! right? Like, that's not the way God is. God looks at all sin the same. But the truth is, you guys, is that we cannot come to his word and expect him to pull his punches on us. We need to, to take it for what it is and look at it. Why? Because he loves us so much that he's not going to not speak truth to us. So I'm going to tell you something else about this chapter. It is extremely graphic. It's extremely graphic. I am not going to dig into everything that's there. But since all of you guys are adults, you're probably going to pick up on a lot of it. So I'm just letting you know. It's, it's very graphic, but the fact is, you guys, is this is what this chapter is. It's, it's God literally shoving a mirror in Judah's face and saying, look at yourself. Look at who you are. Look at what you've become. Look at your actions. Like, own it. Own who you are. So you come back to me. He's forcing them to see the ugliness of their actions. He's forcing them, you guys, to see the absolute disgustingness of their sin and the idolatry that they're in. Ready? Let's start reading on now all those starting notes. Here we go. Verse one says this. The word of the Lord came again to me saying, son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother, and they committed harlotry in Egypt. They committed harlotry in their youth. Their breasts were there embraced. Their virgin bosom was there pressed. Their names, Ahola the elder and Aholiba, the sister, her sister, they were mine. And they bore sons and daughters. As for their names, Samaria is Ahola and Jerusalem is Ohaliba. You guys, so God starts off by saying, he's starting this parable. He's saying, look, the, his people, you guys, whenever they were in Egypt, they were already harlots. They were already literally whoring themselves out. That was, that's what he's saying. So kind of get your head around where we're at here. What is he comparing these two? Remember, after they got out of Egypt, after the promised land, they came into the promised land. You guys remember after David died, King David, they split into two kingdoms soon after, not very long after all of that stuff, Solomon, right? And so all of that stuff, they split into two kingdoms and that's where he's now going back to Egypt and he's comparing them to where they are currently, which is two separate kingdoms. And he's saying his people were like two sisters. Ahola is Samaria. And what that means in Hebrew is her tent. And what it if you want to be really technical, what it means is this. The sanctuary was of our own making. Now, I want you to think about this. What was Samaria known for? Do you remember this? We read about this in the book of Joshua. Whenever, and even in the book of Judges, it talked about it. The northern kingdom, when they broke away, they were there and they were like, oh, well, or, it wasn't in the book of Joshua. When was it? That, I think it was in Joshua, where they were talking about the fact that like the northern, they didn't want to send them down south because they were afraid that they were going to leave and get captured down there. And so they just built their own places up in the north. That's really the start of that whole process, right? And so here God is saying, look, 
that was a sanctuary they made. That's not my sanctuary. It's not the one I wanted them to make. They just made it. And that's literally what he named them. In other words, he's saying they're screwed up from the very beginning. The other name, Ohilabah, is Judah. And it means my tent is in her or God's temple was in her midst. That's Judah, the southern kingdom where the temple actually resided. So do you guys get the meaning here in their names? He's saying, here's my people. And I'm, I'm looking at them as they see themselves, as these two separate entities. And I'm calling the older sister, Samaria. And her name means the place that you created for yourself. And I'm calling the, the sister that I'm speaking to here, that Ezekiel's speaking to, Judah, the place, the place where I dwell. Like the place where I chose to dwell. That should have pricked their hearts and been like, oh. Right? Because back in Egypt, they were one people. And they've lost that. And then on top of that, they're in two separate places and they're doing their own thing. And so there's just so many things that are already messed up before we even get to this point. And so God is kind of reminding them, pulling them back and being like, look, here you were. And even when you guys were in Egypt, you were enjoying your harlotry. What does that mean? It means literally you were enjoying sexual intercourse. You were doing things you shouldn't have been doing, you know, but it also means idolatry. It also means coming alongside the way they did things enjoying the way Egypt lived, doing the things Egypt did. That's what, it, that's what he's getting at here. And so he's making it clear like, man, you already love to embrace the idolatry and the sinful practice that you found in Egypt. We need to keep that in mind because we're gonna go through a lot of history tonight. God's gonna do that. So let's keep reading verse five. We're gonna look at the older sister here, Samaria. It says this, Ohola, Ohola played the harlot, even though she was mine. And she lusted for her lovers, the neighboring Assyrians, who were clothed in purple, captains and rulers, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. Thus she committed her harlotry with them, all of them choice men of Assyria, and with all for whom she lusted. With all their idols, she defiled herself. She, had, she has never given up her harlotry brought from Egypt. For in her youth, they had lain with her, pressed her virgin bosom, and poured out their immorality upon her. Therefore, I have delivered her into the hands of her lovers, into the hands of the Assyrians for whom she lusted. I want you to notice something in verse 10. They uncovered her nakedness, took away her sons and daughters, slew her with the sword. She became a byword among women for they had executed judgment on her. So here, God is telling them, he's looking at the Northern kingdom and he's telling the Southern kingdom like, hey, like catch a clue, catch a clue to what's happened here to your older sister. They went ahead and they were taken out already. You guys realize that that happened about a hundred years in advance of where we're at now. They have been off the scene. The Northern kingdom had been taken away by Assyria over a hundred years, 116 years to be exact. Over a hundred years, this is, I'd already passed you guys. Again, we talked about this on Sunday, I think. The age of our nation is like two, a little over 200 years. Think about that. Over half-ish, the age of our nation, they had already been taken captive. They had all this time to figure it out. Whoa, what the heck were they doing that made that happen? Like that's what they could have done, but no, we already learned in the first four verses what happened. They went even deeper into it. And so he's, he's calling them out. He's like, hey, you know, you were desiring and chasing after these idols of Assyria. You were looking 
to do whatever they were doing because that was cool. You wanted all that they had. You wanted all these things. And so I gave them over to you. Assyria came and took them away. And it wasn't pretty. And it wasn't good. And it never is good, is it? When we desire things in this world that are not good for us, even though they're like a little bit tantalizing, they never turn out for our good. You guys, here we are, and we know all of this from the Bible, that it was a historical fact. We read about it in 1 Kings. We read about it in Chronicles. We read about all these different things. But can I also say, we have evidence in archaeology specifically of the northern kingdom being taken away, and it's from an obelisk that was uncovered in the territory where Assyria was. And so I want to look at this. This is a obelisk of King Shalmanzar III. And that is in Britain, in a museum in Britain. So here's the cool thing about that obelisk. You see all these little things, it's telling a story. And there's, there's different things that they've translated and they know what the language is like so they can understand this is what this is saying. But here's one specific story on that obelisk and that's the next picture. That guy kneeling down is King Jehu. You guys remember King Jehu? Second Kings chapter nine and 10. He was the king over the Northern kingdom. On that obelisk, you guys, we see him kneeling down before the king of Assyria. God should be the only thing that he was following. Now, we don't have any recollection of that biblically. So did he really go and kneel down? Well, we, we don't know biblically, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. You get my point? Right, like it's not out of the realm of possibility. He was like, oh, I kiss your feet, king. Like you just keep us, we're good, we're good. Right, because that's how they were, groveling. And so isn't it interesting that we have this outside of the Bible even, we have this, this idea, this view, this look into what God's saying here. Like that is why they were taken out because they were doing their own thing and they were seeking foreign help to make sure that they were safe and secure instead of doing the one thing God told them to do, seek him. So they instead chose the foreign idols and they chose not to follow God, but instead follow their own thoughts and how they think they should manage things. And God here in verse five explicitly compares these two sisters, you guys, follow me on this. God's comparing them. They were born of one mother, but he's comparing himself as their husband, like these were his wives. Does that make sense? So that's where the harlotry hurts so deep because he's, he's like, I'm your husband. Like, you're my people. And he's comparing them and he's like, you're, you're like my two wives. Like, do you not understand that? Like, you're both sisters and I loved you and I took you in and I took care of you and I gave you everything. And what did you do? You cheated on me like crazy with whoever you could, however you could. The end result, you guys, is that he's like, you want your lover, Assyria? Have him. And Assyria come in and took him. And their shame and their nakedness was uncovered by who? Assyria. Assyria uncovered them. He, they took away everything. Their children were killed. They themselves, you guys, were slaughtered. Obviously, not all of them, right? Just like we're going to see in the southern kingdom. Not everybody's going to die, but a lot of people died. And he started that process over 100 years in advance of what he was going to do in Judah. And I've got to ask, how many of you guys have older siblings here? Okay, I'm an oldest sibling, so I always tease my little brother 
Because if you're a younger sibling, did you learn from watching your older siblings do make mistakes? I mean, if you're wise, you should have, right? Like my little brother learned some things. Why? Because he watched me put my head through the brick wall and then he's like, well, don't do that, right? And I'm like, hey, that hurt, right? Like you would think that this younger sister, Judah, would be like, "Mm, that didn't go well. Like, let's not do that. But they didn't. They didn't. And so he's here. He's like, what, what have you learned? You've learned nothing. Most younger siblings have that luxury. If they're wise, they're going to pick up a few things of what not to do or how to deal with things. That's why you got to, as a person with three kids, you always got to watch the middle one the most. Verse 11, let's keep looking. We're going to look at the youngest, the younger sister now. It says, now, although her sister, Ohilaba, saw this, she, become, she became more corrupt in her lust than she, and in her harlotry, more corrupt than her sister's harlotry. She lusted for the neighboring Assyrians, captains and rulers clothed most gorgeously, horsemen riding on horses, all of them desirable young men. And then I saw that she was defiled. Both took the same way, but she increased her harlotry. She looked at men portrayed on the wall, pornography. Images of Chaldeans portrayed in vermilion, girded with belts around their waist, flowing turbans on their head, all of them looking like captains in the manner of the Babylonians of Chaldea, the land of their nativity. As soon as her eyes saw them, she lusted for them and sent messengers to them in Chaldea. And then the Babylonians came to her in the bed of love and they defiled her with their immorality. So she was defiled by them and alienated herself from them. Now listen to this. She revealed her harlotry and uncovered her nakedness. She did it. Then I, then I alienated myself from her as I had alienated myself from her sister. Yet she multiplied her harlotry and calling to remembrance the days of her youth when she had played the harlot in the land of Egypt. For she lusted for her paramours, which are illicit lovers, whose flesh is like the flesh of donkeys and whose issue is like the issue of horses. Thus you called to remembrance the lewdness of your youth when the Egyptians pressed your bosom because of your youthful breasts. You guys, this is hardcore. This is hardcore. God is like not playing around. God's telling them right up front, like Judah, you saw what happened to your sister. And instead of learning something, you dove deeper. And God writes through Ezekiel in even more graphic words that not only did Judah seek the Assyrians, but that didn't satisfy him enough. So they were like, oh, let's go chase after the Babylonians for a while. And then after that, they go back and they're like, hey, let's go chase after the Egyptians again. They're just literally harlotering. I don't know what the right word is. They're whoring themselves out, you guys. That's the idea. They're just taking whatever people they can get. They chased after anything they could to stay safe without actually repenting. And finding true safety in the arms of their husband, God. Do you get it? Can you hear the heartache in God's heart? Can you hear him just being like, why? Why would you do this? Why would you keep going all these different places looking for something that only I can give you and that I always wanted to give you? We read that instead 
of what we read about Samaria, where verse 10 tells us Assyria uncovered their nakedness. Here he's saying to their shame, Judah, they didn't even have to uncover your nakedness. You're like, here I am. You're uncovering yourself. You're just like, I'm ready. Do you guys see the disgustingness of this? Am I making abundantly clear? You guys, Judah was so quick to chase after whatever protection that seemed helpful that moment. And I want to give us an idea because he's comparing, God's comparing this parable to these two sisters, these people groups, and their harlotry, their idolatry, and all those things. But keep in mind what he's really getting at. What were they chasing? They were chasing any other way except God to remain their own nation and their own safe place. That's what they were really chasing. That's what this whole book of Ezekiel's been about. They keep taking people away and they're like, we're safe in Jerusalem, we're good. We're good, we're safe. And Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel are all like, no, repent. Like figure it out that you're not right with the Lord and that's the thing that's gonna bring your end. And they're like, nope, we're good, we're good. We're good, we're gonna reach out to somebody else to make sure, we're gonna phone a friend, right? instead of going to the one person that could have fixed everything. You guys, just to give us an idea, 2 Kings 23, 29 through 34, we're not gonna go there because we're not gonna have time, but King Josiah brought freedom from Assyria for a second, for a couple minutes, right? But they soon became a vassal of Egypt. You guys remember that? King Josiah went out, he was killed in the battle. For a little bit, Assyria seemed to back off Right, but then Egypt came and just took them as a vassal state. And that's, like I said, for you note takers, 2 Kings 23, verses 29 through 34. Then King Jehoiakim quickly switched allegiance away from Egypt because he didn't like how Egypt was treating them. They weren't being treated very nice by Egypt, so they went over to Babylon. And so that is in 2 Kings 24, 1. King Jehoiakim went and went with, uh, and basically, for lack of a better way, in keeping with the idea of the parable, got in bed with the Babylonians, but quickly decided he didn't like that either. Why? Because they took people and they did whatever they wanted, right? That's when Daniel went away and that's when uh, Ezekiel got taken away. And, that, and we're waiting now for this third and final, you know, taking away this exile. But this is, that's when that king, King Jehoiakim, was the one that was kind of like, oh, I don't like this. Let's go to Babylon. And then it was like, oh, we didn't like that either. And that's what he's talking about here in verse 18. It says, then I alienated myself from her. But what does it say right before that? It says, basically, they alienated themselves from Babylon because they didn't like what Babylon did. Babylon's like, we'll keep you safe, but we're going to take all your best people. And they're like, we don't like that. And so they, they alienated themselves from their lover. Do you get where that's going here? And then King Zedekiah, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. You remember that? He was put in place after Jehoiachin was deposed. Do you remember that? And what did he do, you guys? He rebelled against Babylon by doing what? Going right back to Egypt. Do you see what they've done? They've gone full circle. They're just like, I don't like that guy. He treats me bad. I'm coming to you. I don't like that guy. He treats me bad. I'm coming to you. Hey, I know you were the first one, but can you take me back? Do you get the disgustingness? Do you get the, just the, the vileness of this whole situation? Because the whole time, their husband, quote unquote, God, is like, come back to me. Come back. Stop doing this. What are you doing? Stop it. Come back to me. And they wouldn't. They just kept going. 
And you guys got to remember, this is all historical context that I just gave you of the prophecy that hasn't even happened yet. Zedekiah was not yet in power. Do you get what I'm getting at? We see how this plays out in the book of Kings, but Ezekiel's speaking and he's like, this is what's coming. He's laying it out before it even happens. That's why it's prophecy. So God compares all their chasing different nations for protection instead of looking to him to a whore who keeps chasing around different lovers and not liking how bad they're treated. And so instead of changing what they're doing and stopping their whoredom, they continue on to the new lover, expecting something different to the point that their whole focus, you guys, was absolutely nothing godly at all and only worldly things. And isn't that just like the world? Wouldn't you agree with that? The world chases pleasure. The reason that drugs are so prevalent in the world today is because people are trying to escape from their lives. The reason, the reason that, that bars are so full of people is because people are trying to find an escape and community and all the sorts of things that we're all searching for, that God created us for in some respects, community and, and relationship with one another and being in community. And yet, you guys, and I'm just, I'm just being real, we as Christians sometimes struggle with even just meeting at church once a week. That's not a dig. It's just an honest response. But man, I knew guys growing up that were like at the bar faithfully every weekend. They were better than churchgoers because they were chasing something. And the reality is, you guys, I think, to be honest, the world is seeking peace and something real. And they're, they're like a dog chasing their tail. They're never going to find it. But the reality is, you guys, can't we be like that sometimes too? I think we can. Here's the key difference. We know better. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, you know better. You found peace. You found the place where you can come and be in community and fellowship with one another. You found the truth of God's word that, that will speak into your life. You found all these things and yet... And this is no judgment, you guys, because it's all of us. Sometimes we lose sight of that and we start chasing after things in this world again. And they might not be bad things. Right? You might be like, man, I'm working extra hours so I can save up money to get a new car. It's not on its face. It's not a bad thing. If that equals not spending any time in your Bible, not going to church, not doing anything with the Lord, and you're kind of like walking away, and you're like, man, I've worked all these extra hours, and now I got my car a year later, but my relationship with the Lord is in the tank, I would say you've lost, you know? So like I said, it's not like it has to be drugs and alcohol and porn and whatever else we want to say that we're like, oh boy, that's bad. No, it can be good things. It's about where our heart is, and it's, a, it's for them. Where was their heart? Seeking protection for a nation wasn't a bad thing. It's where they were seeking it. Seeking peace in our hearts is not a bad thing. It's where we're seeking it. Where are we seeking it? We're only going to find it in God, and we've got that answer. So why wouldn't we be telling others about that instead of being at the bar with them getting drunk? Our pursuit should look different. Our lives should look different. Our, you guys, our desires should look different. Wouldn't you agree? Verse 22. Therefore, Aholabah thus says the Lord God. 
Behold, I will stir up your lovers against you, from whom you have alienated yourself. And I will bring them against you from every side, the Babylonians, all the Chaldeans, Pekad, Shoah, Koah, all the Assyrians with them, all of them desirable young men, governors and rulers, captains and men of renown, all of them riding on horses. And they shall come against you with chariots, wagons, and war horses, with a horde of people. They shall array against you buckler, shield, and helmet all around. I will delegate judgment to them, and they shall judge you according to their judgments. I will set my jealousy against you, and they shall deal furiously with you. They shall remove your nose and your ears. Notice that there's no word rings at the end of either of those. They shall remove your nose and your ears, and your remnant shall fall by the sword. They shall take your sons and your daughters, and your remnant shall be devoured by fire. They shall also strip you of your clothes and take away your beautiful jewelry. Thus I will make you cease your lewdness and your harlotry brought from the land of Egypt so that you will not lift your eyes to them nor remember Egypt anymore. For thus says the Lord God, surely I will deliver you into the hand of those you hate, into the hand of those from whom you've alienated yourself. They will deal hatefully with you, take away all you have worked for and leave you naked and bare. The nakedness of your harlotry shall be uncovered, both your lewdness and your harlotry. I will do these things to you because you have gone as a harlot after the Gentiles, because you have become defiled by their idols. You have walked in the way of your sister and therefore I will put her cup in your hand. Thus says the Lord God, you shall drink of your sister's cup, the deep and wide one. You shall be laughed to scorn and held in derision. It contains much. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow. The cup of horror and desolation, the cup of your sister Samaria, you shall drink and drain it. You shall break its shards and tear at your own breasts. For I have spoken, says the Lord God. Therefore, Thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, therefore you shall bear the penalty of your lewdness and your harlotry. So you guys, God is going to put them under the very lover that they tried to run away from. They were going to come in and treat them even worse. Verse 25 tells us that they're literally gonna come in and cut their nose and their ears off. What is that speaking of? It's gonna take away their beauty. What did Babylon do? They went and they, they raided the temple. They took everything out of the temple. They, they took all the good stuff away. They took everything away. They did rape and pillage and mutilate and do all these horrible things to these people. It wasn't like, oh, they're going to come in and take your nose rings and your earrings. No, they're going to take your body parts to make you ugly, to make you not beautiful anymore, you harlot. Think about it. Verse 27 says why God was allowing all this, right? Verse 27, thus I will make you cease your lewdness and your harlotry. Why was he doing all this, you guys? Because he wanted to bring them to their bottom. He wanted to get them to a place where the only place they could look was up. It's God's grace. Even as we read his justice and we're like, wow, that's heavy. Wow, that's hard. You guys, he loved him so much. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drag, I'm gonna make you, I'm gonna drive you clear down so far into the mud that you literally hit bedrock and there's nowhere else for you to go. The only way for you to look is up. That's what he's saying to them. 
I'm going to make you cease from this. He's going to bring him back to him. And God says again, man, instead of you learning from your sister, you're going to drink the cup that I gave to them that I was hoping you would figure out what was going on there, but you didn't. So I'm going to give you all of it. They drank a little bit of it. I'm going to give you all of it. You're going to drink it dry. There's not going to be anything left. And it goes even further in this graphic depiction. He says, you're going to break that cup into bits and stab your breasts. You're going to rip your skin to shreds. You're going to be like, why have I done this? That's what he's saying to them. That in their misery of knowing how horribly they had fallen, they're just going to want to be like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And isn't that what happens to us believers? When we give in and look at porn and go on a bender or when we go back to a drug that we used to do or when we get tore up drunk or when we do whatever or we indulge in a relationship that we knew when we took the phone call was not going to end well because that old brother or that old person or friend is going to take us down a path we don't want to go down, but yet we answered the phone anyway. And we get to the end of it and we're like, what am I doing? Why have I done this? Am I the only one that feels that way sometimes? That's what he's saying to them. It's graphic, you guys. I'm not trying to add more than what's here. I'm just telling you what's written. Let's not sugarcoat it though. Let's not miss the graphic nature of what God was telling them. What was he saying? Your sin is gross. Your sin is horrible. Your sin is absolutely disgusting to me. That's what he's telling them. God wasn't pulling his punches. Now I got a question for us. Do we see our sin the same way? Do we see our sin the same way? Because he does. Now, before you start beating yourself up, remember, he poured all of his wrath, he poured all of his disgust, all of that out on Jesus, God in flesh, just to make a way for us. So don't beat yourself up, but, but I'm, it's a good question for you to ask. Like, do you see your sin the same way? Because you should. My prayer, you guys, is that we're daily coming before the Lord. That at night when you go to bed, you're like, oh Lord, man, I don't even know maybe half the stuff I did wrong. I'm sorry. In the moment when it happens, you guys, any of you that know me for a while have probably had the privilege of, not privilege, the sh- I don't know what the word is, <laughs> of me having to come up to you and be like, man, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. And that is, that's something that's done and it's preceded by me going to God when the Holy Spirit's like, that was the wrong thing to say. That was the wrong thing to do. That was the wrong thing to, to act out on. You should have just kept it, your mouth shut, or you should have done this, or you should have said it better, or whatever the Holy Spirit does. My first thing that I do right then and there, because God provides that freedom, is that I can say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. And then I get to go to that person and be like, I'm a bum. I'm sorry. If you haven't had that privilege, stick around. <laughs> and that's to my shame. I wish I could say it would never happen again, but I'm sure it will, probably tonight. <laughs> you guys, we're all sinners. Amen. My prayer is that we're coming before the Lord daily and saying like, man, Lord, would you wash me clean again? You know, we need that. And there's not one of us that doesn't need that. We need to seek him. 
for a cleansing that only comes through his grace. And you guys, the fact is, we will not find that peace and we will not find that grace and we will not find that, that thing that we're looking for by doing what they did and diving deeper into sin. And yet that's what the enemy tells us. You, looked, you already looked at porn. Go ahead and do it again. You got drunk last night. Hair of the dog. Get on it this morning and that way you don't feel bad again. You smoked weed already. I mean, you got half of a thing left, so just smoke it. Isn't that how it goes? You've been lying to your spouse for this, about this money you spent. Well, just go spend more. Right? Whatever this is, I'm just trying to name things. I mean, I never do any of those. (laughs) You guys, we never, ever are going to find it in a new self-help solution. We're never going to find it with all the blocks that we can put on our phone to keep us away from things. We're never going to find peace in all those things. Are all those things uh, necessarily bad? No. If you're looking at porn, put blocks on your phone. It's the very first thing I always counsel anyone that comes to me and says they have an addiction to porn. Why are you not making it very hard for yourself? You should, but that's not the answer. That's not where God says, I'm going to do a work. Guess where he does that? In you, between you and the Holy Spirit. That's where the work is happening. You're just making it harder for yourself and that's good, right? If you're prone to smoke weed, getting rid of your pots plants is probably a good step, right? If you're an alcoholic, not going to the bar is probably going to help you a little bit and getting rid of all your alcohol. Whatever your thing is, if you're prone to spend money that your husband or your wife doesn't know about, guess what? Give up your card. Do something. But that's not going to fix it. What's going to fix us, you guys, is that sanctification process that God walks us through day by day. That's the key. You know what, you guys? I just want to say this, man. Do you know what a healthy Christian looks like? A healthy Christian does not look like a perfect Christian. That's the most unhealthy Christian. A healthy Christian, you guys, is one that's seeking God every day. That's saying, God, I want to be more like you today than I was yesterday. A healthy Christian is seeking other believers and telling them who you really are and being real and raw with somebody or multiple people being real, being accountable. So that someone going to be like, hey, how have you been doing with that weed addiction? How have you been doing with the drinking? How have you been doing with the porn? How have you been doing with the gossiping? How have you been doing with the spending money? How have you been doing with all these things? And being real. That's a healthy Christian. You guys, health does not equal perfect. Being a healthy member of a church means that you are making an honest assessment of who you are and where your sin is. That is not what Judah was doing. They were not healthy in any way. For the ones that were like in the temple and doing their thing, they weren't making any impact. Why? Because they really didn't care. They just like getting the paycheck and going home. And nobody came anyway because they were all too busy being like, I can go have sex on a hill or go sacrifice and bleed, have a, watch an animal bleed. I'm picking sex. Do you understand the culture that was there? I mean, it was like, just, it was sick. And I got to say, there's, there's churches sort of like that sometimes. Man, I don't want to be that church. I want to be a healthy church that's like full of messed up people that are doing messed up things that other Christians can say, that's messed up. <laughs> Stop. And they can be like, okay, yeah, you're right. And can hold them accountable and be 
real with one another and love and watch what God does over a five or 10 year period. Watch what God does over a year period in someone's life. And to be able to praise God to say, man, what used to bother me now isn't even a thing, but God keeps showing me more things and we still have some work to do. But that's, that's the point, you guys. Why am I saying all these things? You're like, this has nothing to do with what we read in Ezekiel. I think it has everything to do with it. So let's keep reading. Verse 36. How are we doing? We're doing good. The Lord also said to me, son of man, will you judge Ahola and Oholiba? Then declare to them their abominations. For they have committed adultery and blood is on their hands. They have committed adultery with their idols and even sacrificed their sons whom they bore to me, passing them through the fire to devour them. We've talked about Moloch numerous times. Moreover, they have done this to me. They have defiled my sanctuary on, my, on, the, on the same day and profaned my Sabbaths. For after they had slain their children for their idols, on the same day they came into my sanctuary to profane it. And indeed, thus they have done in the midst of my house. What's he saying? He's like, they're going out in the world and doing whatever the world wants them to do, the idolatry, and then they're still coming to church and acting like it's okay. Furthermore, you sent for men to come from afar to whom a messenger was sent and there they came. And you washed yourself for them, painted your eyes and adorned yourself with ornaments. You sat on a stately couch with a table prepared before it on which you had set my incense. Notice he says my incense and my oil. What's he saying? He's saying, well, you set out everything that was sanctified and sacred for me, for these people, for these idols, for these things. The sound of a carefree multitude was with her and Sabians were brought from one of the wilderness with men of the common sort who put bracelets on their wrists and beautiful crowns on their heads. And then I said concerning her who had grown old in adulteries, will they commit harlotry with her now and she with them? Yet they went into her as men go into a woman who plays the harlot. Thus they went into Ohola and Oholib, or Oholaba, the lewd women. But righteous men will judge them after the manner of adulteresses and after the manner of women who shed blood because they are adulteresses and blood is on their hands. For thus says the Lord God, bring up an assembly against them. Bring them to trouble and plunder. The assembly shall stone them with stones and execute them with their swords. They shall slay their sons and their daughters and burn their houses with fire. Thus, I will cause lewdness to cease from the land, that all women may be taught not to practice your lewdness. They shall repay you for your lewdness, and you shall pay for your idolatrous sins. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God. You guys, God's telling Ezekiel now, like, hey, tell both the sisters. Tell all of Israel. Judge them. God's judging the entire nation for their idolatry, for chasing of sin instead of him. He compares them both, you guys here, to old harlots. They're still, still trying to give themselves away. Like these old ladies, these old hags that are so worn out because they've just had so many partners and he's just like, you're still out there trying to get some. I'm just being, that's what he's saying. And he's looking at these guys like, for real? You're still gonna go in there? okay. He compares them both to these old harlots. And 
God says, I'm going to get rid of this attitude in you. I'm going to get rid of this. God was going to bring the entire nation to a place of repentance. They were going to come back. And I got to say this to you guys. You guys, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen. Guess what else God's going to do to us today? If we continue and we would continue and continue and continue and continue and continue, Christian, he will bring you to your bottom. He will. And what's sad, you guys, is I've, in the years of ministry that I've been in, I've seen people that I'm like, that's got to be your bottom. Nope, we're going further down. (laughs) That's for real. That's got to be your bottom. Nope, we're going further down. And I'm still praying for some of my friends that I'm like, where's, dude, where's your bottom? And at any point, you can get off the ride. Right? Like, you're not flying at 100 miles an hour. It's your choice to get off. But yet, you keep going down. And so, I want to encourage all of us, you guys, to see our sin as the filthy, disgusting thing that it is. And to recognize the areas of our own lives, you guys, where we may be chasing after the world. And that doesn't mean some horrendous thing like drugs or drinking or pornography or whatever. It might be something that you would look at and be able to easily justify. And the world would be like, well, of course that's a good thing. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying that's between you and the Lord. Does that make sense? Because here's the difference, you guys. Here's the thing. And this is the thing that I really, really want to encourage us and why I feel like this message has an encouraging bend to it is this. We don't have to be this way. We do not have to be this way. We can be like the younger sister that's now not only read of our older sister, but we have two sisters that we've just read about. And we're like, hey, I don't want to be like these guys. We've got the entirety of scripture that we can read. It doesn't take much reading through Proverbs. Just that book alone, I would encourage you guys, if you don't do it now, to add that to your daily reading, to just take, there's 31 chapters, take it. Read it, a chapter a day. I don't care how many times I've read those chapters. They are still applicable. And guess what? I still don't have many of them, if any of them, licked. I can't look and be like, oh man, I got my tongue completely under control. Right? I can't. God's still growing me. You guys, I got to say something. Listen, here tonight, I know we're all Christians, right? We're all believers. The truth is, you guys, we're still sinful beings. And so, yeah, accepting Christ that first time, what does that do? That changes your eternal address to heaven from hell. And that's awesome. And that's huge. That's the gospel. But we know that that's, like I always say, right? That's the beginning, Bilbo Baggins. Like you've just walked out the door and closed the door. Now you've got a whole adventure awaiting you. You've got a, a walk with God. You're step by step. You're walking with him and you're growing. And the point is, you guys, these people were like, we're God's people. We're good. We can do whatever we want. If that's the way you're living, you will find bottom. But you don't have to. You have the adventure of a lifetime awaiting you. Just dig in. Get on it. And it's not a matter of catching up because God's so cool, he's at all places all at the same time. Did you ever think about that? I had a friend of mine one time that was like, man, I fell off the mountain. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, man, I was coming up to the mountain of the Lord and I was just just really growing. And he was kind of using the Psalms of Ascent as like his idea that he was going up and he was going up and he was getting closer to God. And I'm like, 
you're assuming God's very, very far away. And I'm like, God is omnipresent. Like he's with you right now. You're no further away than you ever could be because you're never more than a breath away. I understand what he was saying because that's how we feel sometimes, right? Whenever we're in sin and we're screwing up and we, we know we've like totally messed it up and we've blown it. And we're in that moment where we're like beating our chest or just pulling our hair out like, oh God, why again did I say the thing I didn't want to say? Why God did I look at that picture I didn't want to look at? Why God did I drink the thing I didn't want to drink or do the thing I wanted, didn't want to do or whatever? Yeah, we feel that way, but it's a lie of the enemy to think that God is suddenly far away because it goes against the very character of God. He can't be any further away. As a matter of fact, Christian, he's in you. (laughs) So we get this adventure that we get to walk on, so we don't have to choose this. We We don't have to choose this. We can be free from the sinfulness of our lives. Now hear me out. We're not gonna be free from the sin. We're gonna keep sinning. The freedom that comes from the sinfulness is this. We've got God's grace that when we sin, we can say, God, forgive me, and it is forgotten. It's wiped away. That's the freedom we have, you guys. If we start walking in that, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to sit and beat myself up for sinning. I'm going to move on and keep walking. I'm also not going to use God's grace as a doormat. I'm going to be real about it and say, this is disgusting. Why did I do that again, Lord? but thank you for your forgiveness. Now let's keep walking. If you're found by Jesus, you're free. You're free. And this message is a message of encouragement to me, you guys, because we don't have to choose this. Instead, we can repent, which is the same thing he's been crying out to them this whole time. Repent, stop doing this. And we have the freedom to do that, just like they did. You guys keep your heart and your walk tight with the Lord and let the Holy Spirit do the work in our lives like he wants to. And I promise you, if that is the mark of your life, if that is the way you're living your life, can I tell you something? I promise you, God will never make you find your bottom. He won't. Not that way. I'm not saying it's going to be all hunky-dory and, you know, potato chips and everything. I'm talking about the fact that you're not just going to walk in sin and keep going down. You're going to recognize your sin and say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. There is no bottom in a person that's just living a life for the Lord. Do you get it? So keep looking up every day, right? Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, Come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.